Good afternoon, everyone, and, and thank you for joining us. On Monday, U.S. Attorney General William Barr held a press conference to share the results of an investigation into a Saudi gunman's attack in Florida last month. Mohammed Saeed al-Shamrani entered a building on grounds of the Pensacola Naval Air Station and killed three U.S. sailors and severely wounded eight other Americans. Barr called the attack an act of terror. But he also did something else. The attorney general pointed a finger at the company he said stood in the way of the FBI's investigation, Apple. We have asked Apple for their help in unlocking the shooter's phones. So far, Apple has not given any substantive assistance. The shooter's two iPhones, potentially some of the most valuable evidence the FBI has, remain locked. We call on Apple and other technology companies to help us find a solution so that we can better protect the lives of American people and prevent future attacks. But there was something curious about Barr's announcement. The attorney general was saying the government couldn't get into this terrorist iPhone, but law enforcement has been able to get into iPhones for years. Today on the show, the standoff between the U.S. government and Apple and why the iPhone is at the center of debates over privacy and national security. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Thursday, January 16th. Bob McMillan covers cybersecurity. He says the skirmish between Barr and Apple is the latest in a struggle between tech and law enforcement that first exploded into view seven years ago. If you wanted to pinpoint a date that this all really took off, it would be the summer of 2013 when Edward Snowden started leaking classified documents from the NSA's archives. The Washington Post is reporting that the National Security Agency and the FBI are mining the servers of nine leading U.S. Internet companies. The federal government tracking our phone calls, not to mention the information we've given to companies like Facebook, Google, and Apple. Everyone kind of knew that these intelligence agencies were in the business of collecting data largely from computers. What Snowden showed was that the scope of the collection was much greater than people thought. The techniques were more sophisticated than people knew. And that, I think, really kind of woke everyone up. Everyone, including Apple. Before the Snowden revelations, Apple's relationship with law enforcement had been relatively smooth. In the olden days, law enforcement, if they were doing an investigation, they already knew that these phones were very important investigative tools. They would often simply send them to Apple, and Apple would be able to provide the data that was on the phone. During this period, investigators could get a warrant, send a phone to Cupertino, and Apple would be able to send back the motherload. Emails, contact lists, call records, photos, video. But slowly, Apple had been tightening its security. So beginning around the, the Apple IV time frame, they started adding these very strong security measures to the phones. And the one that the law enforcement people really care about is this technology that not only encrypts the data on your phone, but also protects it with a passcode. And post-Noden, Apple doubled down on those security features. 
It encrypted more of its users' data, and it changed its passcode from a four-digit number to a more secure six-digit number. So they basically locked it down, and they did a number of very clever, technically sophisticated things, and they were very much the leader on mobile phone security at this time. Apple made sure its customers knew about it by touting the security moves in its marketing. Like when it released its iOS 8 operating system, Apple posted a note to its website assuring customers that with new encryption and passcode security, not even Apple could extract data from a locked iOS 8 phone. They built the iPhone with such an intense level of security that in this one circumstance, if you have your hands on a phone and you don't have the passcode and you want to read what's on it, Nobody can do that. Apple couldn't do that themselves. So they basically went from a situation where they could take a phone, download the data, send it to law enforcement, to a situation where they could take a phone, look at it, go, ah, it's a modern iPhone. We can't do it. We can't do anything with this. Customers might have liked the extra security, but it enraged law enforcement. And in 2015, something happened to bring this standoff between Apple and law enforcement to a head. Welcome back, everybody. We have breaking news coming to us out of California, San Bernardino, where we have the sheriff's office confirming that they've had an active shooter. Where they have it. The San Bernardino attack in December of 2015 was a, a terror attack by a husband and wife team who opened fire on a county Christmas party. Those two suspects have been identified as 28-year-old Saeed Farouk and 27-year-old Tashfeen Malik. Authorities say they do not have a motive at this point and are not ruling out terrorism. And again, after the attack was over, law enforcement had this phone. They had a, an Apple iPhone 5C, and they couldn't get into it because it was locked down. And they wanted to know, were there other leads that they should be following? Could there be another attack, for example, that was being planned? But try as they might, the FBI could not crack it. And this was when the government very publicly put a name to the thing they wanted from Apple— the thing that would solve the frustration they'd been having for years now. Federal investigators wanted a back door. They wanted Apple to write software to crack its own phones so that investigators could get a warrant and just walk through that door. So what was the government's philosophical argument for a back door? Well, it was just, it remains that there should be a way for us to get data. The idea that we can't get data off of this widely used digital device that's crucial to investigations is simply unacceptable. So it's kind of like, hey, we can get a warrant and search your house, so why can't we get a warrant and search your phone? Yeah, or they'll say, like, for the longest time, we've had a way of uh, wiretapping telephones. People are okay with that because, you know, we, there's a precedent for getting a legitimate authority to do that. And not everybody's phone gets tapped. And, you know, why can't we have something like that for the iPhone? What kind of leads can you get out of a phone? Well, the most obvious thing is seeing what people have been saying to the suspect. You can see text messages. You can see who they know, their list of contacts. You can find a browsing history. You can see evidence of where they've been. There's sort of a ways of tracking where, where, where people actually been taking the phone. You know, this is basically the, the home of your digital life nowadays. So if you want to profile someone, the, the phone is really the best place to start. To try to build that profile for the San Bernardino shooters, the Justice Department tried to force Apple to create a backdoor by taking the company to court. 
And Apple went to the mattresses to fight it. Apple was not having it. They decided to put all chips in on this issue. And to me, that's, it was a very interesting decision. What they want is they want us to develop a new operating system that takes out the security precautions. Tim Cook appeared on national television and made the argument that the privacy of their users was paramount to this company, and the only way it could truly be maintained was by building systems without these back doors. Cook argued that if Apple created a back door, sure, the good guys could get in, but so could the bad guys. But if, if the, one of the bad guys knew that that existed, think about the target that is. This is Obama's Justice Department had gone after Apple very publicly. But if it expected a groundswell of support, it was mistaken. Customers stuck with Apple. No one proposed a law mandating a backdoor. Apple really was able to, I think, control the narrative around this just by really pushing this idea that they were taking users and their privacy seriously. And here's the federal government, which just years earlier has been largely criticized for widespread surveillance programs, you know, saying, oh, we need more you know, surveillance. You know, they were it was sort of set up for them to smash this one in. And uh, and they did. So what happened with the San Bernardino phones? Was the FBI able to get in? At the end of the day, the San Bernardino phone, it was an iPhone 5C, and the FBI paid a third party to gain access to it. So yeah, they got into it. It cost them a million dollars, but they got into it. This was the situation for law enforcement trying to get into an iPhone in 2016. It was a black box. Apple wouldn't hack it for you, and if you wanted in, you'd have to pay a million dollars to an anonymous hacker. But since then, that has radically changed. What changes that? Business. Businessmen. The profit imperative changed that. After the break, the rise of the iPhone crackers. Welcome back. The cracking of the San Bernardino phone in 2016 proved that federal law enforcement wanted into iPhones and that they were willing to pay for it to the tune of $1 million. And with that kind of price tag, some people sensed an opportunity. Entrepreneurs stepped in. And in 2016, a company called Grayshift was founded. Grayshift employed at least one former Apple security expert And their mission was to hack the iPhone. It took Grayshift a few years to figure this out. But by the spring of 2018, the company was ready to demo its new product. It was a small black box about the size of a jewelry box. They called it the Gray Key. Yeah, so I was down in Myrtle Beach at a forensics conference. And as far as I know, this was the first public demonstration of the Gray Key. Grayshift had picked its audience wisely. Bob says the conference room was filled with law enforcement, detectives, cops. All the law enforcement investigators who for years have been just like totally frustrated by Apple's inability to give them data. This company shows up and they say, we have a way in. The Grayshift executive pulls out an iPhone and this kind of black box device that has a white 
cable, the, he plugs into the iPhone, he hits a button, and it begins the extraction. Normally, if you tap too many wrong passwords into an iPhone, it freezes. It could make you wait 5 or 15 minutes before you can try another password. Some iPhone users set up their phones to erase all of their data after 10 wrong tries. But the gray key turns off that protection mechanism so that the little box can try entering thousands of passwords in a row. The exact way that it's able to do this, they don't tell you. But if I were doing it, I would start with a certain number of known popular pass keys, like one, two, three, four, five, six, or six, five, four, three, two, one, or something like that. It can take days or months to guess a correct password, depending on how the phone's set up. The phone in the demo had a six-digit password. And within 30 minutes... It had unlocked the phone. And then once the phone was unlocked, it just took seconds, really, to start downloading all of the data that was available on the phone. You could just feel the relief in the air as it cracked into this phone. The sense of amazement in the audience that there was finally, you know, promise for them to, to be able to get data off of these devices, to be able to move their investigations forward after years of not being able to do it. In the past two years, GrayShift has sold products to the U.S. Bureau of Prisons, the Drug Enforcement Administration, the IRS, and the FBI. The FBI has spent over a million dollars on GrayShift products. And a million dollars can buy a lot of tech. And how much is one of these devices? Well, uh, starting price, $15,000. It's pretty cheap. You know, it's cheap enough that a county, you know, investigative office can afford it. And could I buy one? Like, can individuals buy these (laughs) boxes? No, that's part of what was brilliant about their business model was they only sell to U.S. law enforcement. And it was something that they were taking very seriously, the security of this device. I remember there was... um, an armed guard next to it at all time to make sure that it, you know, wouldn't get taken. And this is at a conference, like, filled with cops, right? So, Grayshift only sells to U.S. law enforcement, but not all of its competitors operate this way. Another company that popped up to crack Apple's iPhones is an Israeli company called NSO Group. Facebook recently sued NSO Group for selling a hacking service that Facebook says was used to illegally spy on 1,400 WhatsApp users. In response to that lawsuit, NSO Group said it sells its software to governments on the condition that they use it only to target spies, criminals, and terrorists. But according to a research group called Citizen Lab, over 100 activists and journalists were targeted last year by hacks using NSO Group technology. Thanks to all these new products and companies, investigators finally had a way into iPhones. And it ushered in what some experts call the golden age of iPhone investigations. I spoke with an investigator in Gwinnett County, Georgia, who put out the call in early 2018 when he obtained one of these gray key devices. And he said, listen, if you have an investigation that's stymied because you can't get onto an iPhone, bring it by my office and we'll see what we can do. By the end of the year, he had dumped data from 300 phones. How aware do you think Apple's consumers are of this vulnerability? Nobody, no, they're, they're, they're completely unaware of this. Like, no, no consumers have no idea that, th- that this is all going on. And what about Apple? What did they think about these companies cracking into their products? 
it's a love-hate relationship. It's more hate than, than love. I mean, love is probably not even the right word. It's a, it's a hate-tolerate relationship, let's say. So Apple hates having security flaws in its devices, right? They've bet the company on security and privacy. And when there's a bug found, especially when they can't patch, that's an embarrassment to them. So these companies are basically making their living on finding stuff that Apple is ashamed of. But it keeps law enforcement off their back. It sure does, you know, and they have to be cognizant of that, right? Like, there's a way for law enforcement to get in if they really need to, but it's not so easy that they're just doing widespread surveillance. It's not so easy that they're abusing it. There is a way in which this is a better situation for Apple than it was a few years ago. In a statement this week, Apple pointed out that law enforcement today has unprecedented access to data. Quote, Americans do not have to choose between weakening encryption and solving investigations. Apple's navigated this fine line ever since San Bernardino. Law enforcement can get into iPhones, but Apple isn't on the hook to compromise users' data. That uneasy truce is what Attorney General Bill Barr upset on Monday. So going back to the AG and the Pensacola shooting. If there are all these iPhone cracking services out there, why does the FBI need Apple's help? That is a really good question. I'm not sure. If you look at Apple, it seems pretty clear that in many cases, law enforcement is able to get data off of these phones. They're able to get much more data than they were a few years ago. But there are going to be cases where they're stymied. Some users have passwords longer than six digits. And the longer the passcode, the harder it is to guess. For every additional digit, there are 10 times more permutations. That could be the case with the Pensacola shooter's phones. From the FBI's perspective, they tried to get onto these phones. They were unable to get the passcode, which, to be fair, if it's a really complicated passcode, can take a long time to get. So they said they've given it a month and they've brought in outside contractors, and they're, they're not able to get it. They were able to get it with the 5C two years ago, but in this case, with an iPhone 5 and an iPhone 7, they say they can't do it. And Barr is saying that this isn't good enough. He kind of is going back to the argument from San Bernardino and saying, we want in. That's right. Right now, there's a percentage of phones that they're not able to get data on, but there's also a large percentage that they can get data on. So is that acceptable? In 2016, after San Bernardino, the debate was whether the government should get a backdoor. Now, the government has a backdoor in most cases, but not on every phone, and not thanks to Apple. The question now is whether that jerry-rigged compromise is really a solution. Like, that's really what the debate, I think, should be. Is the status quo that we have right now, is this good enough? Does this meet the needs of law enforcement? And does it protect the privacy of users? And, you know, it often plays out in these very high-stake realms, such as terrorist investigations. You know, like, what's the right call to make when lives are on the line and technology is an impediment to an investigation? After Barr's comments on Monday, Apple released a statement. The company said it was devastated by the terror attack and rejected the FBI's characterization that it had not been helpful. Quote, 
Our responses to their many requests since the attack have been timely, thorough, and are ongoing. Apple also repeated its position that it would not build a backdoor. Quote, there is no such thing as a backdoor just for the good guys. Officials say the Pensacola gunman's phones have still not been cracked. That's all for today, Thursday, January 16th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like the show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We come out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.